truck and load. This is Steve Dace. The Steve Dace Show. And greetings. Happy Monday. Welcome to The Blaze, where we are live and on demand. This is The Steve Dace Show. That would be me. Todd and Aaron are here with me as well. If you want to let us know what you think about what we think, steve at stevedace.com is how you can email the program. That's D-E-A-C-E for those of you listening today on Blaze Radio or via the podcast. Uh, if you are listening on the podcast today, if you wouldn't mind leaving us a five-star review on the podcast platform of your choice, we would appreciate that. You can also like us on Facebook, which doesn't like us, so we need you to like us a lot there. You can also follow us, at least for now, on Twitter at Steve Dace Show. Coming up a little bit later on, one last attempt to reach out and have a <clears throat> civil dialogue. Uh, also, uh, next hour, we'll continue our study of my new book, uh, Truth Bombs, Confronting the Lies That Conservatives Believe to Our Own Demise. One of the cool things about getting to do this show each and every day, though, is we get to support really cool causes. And maybe one of the coolest is what Back to Jerusalem is doing right now. Uh, They're trying to get the word of God into what are called closed countries. These are nations that are oppressing their people's religious freedom. They're closing them off to the faith, hope, and love found uh, in the scriptures. Why? Because people that have been, had their minds renewed by those things, have a tendency not to be as tolerant of being oppressed, which is why they try to close them off. And that's That's where Back to Jerusalem comes in. They've taken the Bible, put it into a downloadable, small, electronic form. It's about the size of a pill that makes it easier uh, to sneak past the gatekeepers, the jackbooted thugs uh, in these oppressive regimes. But uh, this is now where you come in. Uh, They need our help. Their total overhead from conception to delivery of one of these Bibles to somebody who's persecuted is about $15. So if if you've got $15 laying around, maybe you can bring your own lunch to work tomorrow instead of uh, you know going out to lunch. Uh, and you can reach someone whose faith right now uh, is being persecuted in an Iran, in a Somalia, in a North Korea, a communist China. Uh, if, if that sounds like a cause you want to support, here's how you can do it. Go to blazehelp.org. That's blazehelp.org. Or give them a call at 844-305-0566. That's 844-305-0566. And now here's Aaron with what happened while we were away. What happened while we were away brought to you by the far, far away land of Pennsylvania, where children at a Philadelphia mosque sang and said the following, Rebels, 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 glorious steeds, call us and lead us onto paths leading to the Al-Aqsa Mosque. The blood of martyrs protects us. Paradise needs real men. You need force and the Quran, O free people. We will defend the land of divine guidance with our bodies and we will sacrifice our souls without hesitation. We will chop off their heads and we will liberate the sorrowful and exalted Alaska Mosque. Speaking of the religion of peace and lands far, far away, at least 650 rockets were fired from Gaza towards Israel this weekend, killing at least four Israelis and leaving several more injured. This video is from a Hamas-affiliated news agency. Israel retaliated, including a precision strike against a Hamas leader, killing him. 
In another far, far away land, Michigan Congresswoman Rashida Tlaib defended Hamas and criticized a New York Times headline saying, When will the world stop dehumanizing our Palestinian people who just want to be free? Headlines like this and framing it in this way just feeds into the continued lack of responsibility on Israel, who unjustly oppress and target Palestinian children and families. And Minnesota Congresswoman Ilan Omar said, How many more protesters must be shot, rockets must be fired, and little kids must be killed until the endless cycle of violence ends? The status quo of occupation and humanitarian crisis in Gaza is unsustainable. Only real justice can bring about security and lasting peace. National Security Advisor John Bolton announced yesterday the U.S. is sending warships and an aircraft carrier to the region and all but blamed Iran for the attacks. Facebook announced late last week the banishment of several right-of-center political figures as well as Louis Farrakhan, in defense of banning Milo Yiannopoulos, Alex Jones, Paul Joseph Watson, Paul Nealon, Laura Loomer, and Louis Farrakhan. The company branded them, quote-unquote, dangerous individuals. Washington Post headline, Facebook bans far-right leaders, including Louis Farrakhan, Alex Jones, Milo Yiannopoulos, for being dangerous. Yes, the Washington Post thinks that Louis Farrakhan is far-right. So when they talk about Farrakhan, call me a hater. You know what they do? Call me an anti-Semite. Stop it. I'm anti-termite. They later changed that headline. The Kentucky Derby decision was not a good one. It was a rough and tumble race on a wet and sloppy track. Actually, a beautiful thing to watch. Only in these days of political correctness could such an overturn occur. The best horse did not win the Kentucky Derby. Not even close. More proof that the kids of today are more engaged than ever. These are, uh, they have been skipping school. This is Ella, Jaya, and Pilar. Um, and so tell me first how old you guys are and tell me about skipping school and why and, and what that's all about. So um, I've been skipping school for 11 weeks now and it is a sacrifice that we have to make because we are missing important things, but we realize that if we don't skip this school, we might not have a future, so we need to. Going back full circle to where we started, Pennsylvania State Representative Brian Sims, yes, the same one who welcomed Mike Pence to Philadelphia last summer by flipping him off, is back at it again. Hi, everyone. Uh, Representative Brian Sims here, and I'm once again out in front of Planned Parenthood of Southeastern Pennsylvania. Uh, It's not only in my district, it's the most heavily protested Planned Parenthood, I I believe, in the country, and today's protester. Now, she is an old white lady who's going to try to avoid showing you her face. Um, But the same laws, luckily, that protect her from being out here also protect me from showing you who she is. And so my hope is, is that you'll donate $100 for every extra hour that this woman is out here telling people what's right for their bodies. So I have a couple questions for you, ma'am. How many children have you clothed today? I'm sorry, I missed your answer. How many children have you clothed today? How about how many children have you put shoes on their feet today? Have you fed any children today? Or have you just stood out in front of a Planned Parenthood shaming people for something that they have a constitutional right to do? And finally, Abby Johnson, the subject of the movie Unplanned, has been expecting a baby for some time now. She, along with some help from Focus on the Family, had a live ultrasound performed of her baby on Times Square in New York. Let's listen to the heartbeat. Okay. 
And that's what happened while we were away. Aaron's Montage brought to you by our friends at Brickhouse Nutrition with their all-natural energy product uh, from dawn to dusk. It provides clean energy, focus, and improved mood for up to 10 hours. No jitters, no afternoon crash, no calories, no sugar. Uh, it does what multiple cans uh, of soda, energy drinks, which have a whole bunch of ingredients that you couldn't begin to pronounce or know what they mean, or uh, even uh, uh, you know all those cups of coffee. It does for you what those things cannot. And with dawn to dusk, there's no need to be anxious when that coffee mug is empty. Because while others leave the office for that overpriced refill, you're going to be grinding away and getting things done. You've got to give it a try. Visit BrickHouseSteve.com if you want to try from dawn to dusk. They're all natural energy supplement. And you can get a bottle of this groundbreaking formula. And if you use my name as a promo code, Steve, you'll get 15% off when you give it a shot. All right. So no more afternoon crashes, no more limping to the five o'clock finish line, and no more stopping at a gas station to get refueled. That's where your car goes to get refueled. You would be a human, not a car. So don't go there for your fuel. Okay. Again, uh, BrickHouseSteve.com. That's BrickHouseSteve.com. 15% off your first order when you use my name as a promo code, Steve, at BrickHouseSteve.com. All right, let's get to the montage. Uh, we're going to discuss the next wave of using children as propaganda. Uh, we're going to talk about that on the Blaze Roundtable later today for our subscribers at Blaze TV, so you can stay tuned for that. Um, a, a quick word on Aaron's Religion of Peace update. The, the host of that clip is an organization called Memory. And uh, I've talked about them before. And I, I think it's important to know who they are because I think it adds even more tragic context to this clip. And it reminds me of a story, a friend of mine who used to work with uh, the international missions arm of the Assemblies of God churches. And so he traveled all over the world and he was uh, stuck in LaGuardia Airport one day told me this story it happened to him. So he probably told me this story like 10 years ago. He's stuck in a delay at LaGuardia in New York, coming back from a missions trip overseas. And uh, he sees a, a group of uh, black men and looking at the, the, the skin tone in there um, and, and their accents, it's clear that they are native African black men. And it's also clear from what they're trying, what they're saying to each other, that they are lost and unsure of where to go. So he decides he's going to go over there, you know, do that whole love my neighbors, I love myself thing and, uh, and introduce himself. He's an old hat to this kind of international travel thing and help him out a little bit. And they get to talking and he introduces himself. They int there's three brothers and they introduce themselves and um, he finds out that, uh, you know, they're from Nigeria. Now, another friend of mine who passed away a few years ago used to be a secret evangelist. He was a Muslim convert in Nigeria. And he was literally undercover and would go by uh, the assumed name of Umar because he would be killed on sight in some places in that country for admitting that he follows Christ. And so these are three Nigerian men, uh, they're brothers, and uh, he and my friend, having trained people to do international missions, assumed that they were coming here to get trained, to go back and you know, influence their native homeland. And he says to them, hey, it's wonderful you guys are coming here. What seminary are you going to? You know, I might know some of the people there. And he said, they had really, the three brothers got really quiet. And the two younger ones deferred to the older one, you know, because you know, it's, 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 he's the oldest. He's 
in charge, basically. Uh, it's the chain of command in an honor culture. He's the one to speak for them. And they're looking at him, hey, are you going to speak up? And and the oldest brother finally speaks out and he says, no, we were actually at our underground church a few months ago in our native country. And our pastor was showing video of what's going on in America and looked at us and said, who will go and take the light of the gospel to this dark place? And it just, it knocked him on his, on his backside philosophically, you know, metaphorically. And I mean, he probably told me that story like 10 years ago. That is what it means to watch memory sharing a clip of what's happening here in the United States. Because if you're not following memory on Twitter, number one, you should be. In fact, if you just want to go get a Twitter account to stay informed and you want to not interact with all the filth and have a protected account and you only want to follow one account, follow that one. Because what memory does is they give you live feeds or real-time feeds, like not live, real-time feeds is what I meant to say. They give you real-time feeds of what gets broadcast over Arab and Islamic television, which isn't always the same thing. You know, Iran's not an Arab country, for example. All right, so they give you the raw feeds and then they translate. And what gets broadcast on their new shows over the air on just their casual everyday TV, you know, not their version of a Young Turks, not, not their version of an alt-right on the other end. C-SPAN. Yeah, it's yes, it is C-SPAN. It's a great analogy, Todd. It's C-SPAN for the Arab and Muslim world. And to to see that they are now <laughs> they are now beaming into us what's going on here at memory reminded me of that story of my friend who met those missionaries many years ago. I mean, I don't even know. I don't even know what to say. And you know, we had this whole uh, anti-Semitic argument with dual loyalty. Uh, with you know, Jewish members of Congress couldn't possibly be supporting Israel for any other reason other than they're 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 uh, you know, have dual loyalties between Israel and uh, the United States, right? That's an old anti-Semitic slur. And then you see, uh, it, it, it was it Talib or was it Omar? Yes, it was Talib. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Well played. But I think it was Tlaib specifically that said our Palestinians. Yep, that was re- Referring to them in an intimate, you know, uh, association way. I mean, I, I mean, I, I think we, we, if you were looking for what dual loyalties look like, I, I think uh, Miss Tlaib just raised her hand and said, uh, that I'm the one you're talking about. That's me. And, you know, you've heard me say before, when you throw a rock into a pack of dogs, the one they yelped is the one you hit. But uh, let's move to the Facebook conversation. So over the weekend, I sent out a tweet that may end up being now, it's, it's in the top five of the most retweeted and shared things I've ever put on Twitter since I've had a Twitter account. And, and all it was, was was in response to these bannings. Um. Louis Farrakhan is, if St. Paul were here, he would look at him and say, you, sir, are a friend of the devil. Louis Farrakhan is a friend of the devil. Alex Jones is a con artist. I don't really know anything about Laura Loomer other than, you know, when she did that whole thing about, uh, look how easy walls are to jump in defending the wall, which made no sense to me, you know, but, um, 
her name's come up a couple of times over the years on our show, and every time it does, our audience is really divided. Most of you probably are more aware of these names and what they do than I am. I don't know what uh, prison planet is. I don't know what that is. Uh, Paul Joseph Watson is somebody that he works for the prison planet site, correct? Yeah, and he's based, my understanding is, out of the UK. Okay. So that's, to me, immaterial. And you'll note when I, if you if you follow me on Twitter, when I responded to this, I didn't mention any of their specific names. Because they, and this is what I tried to say late last year when Jones got banned, don't glom on to the specific names. Yep. To me, that's the game, all right? Because everybody, everybody's feed is going to have, I mean, I have, I have this one guy who keeps, I think I've, I tweeted once that I didn't care. It was early in Trump's presidency. And, um, you know, was he going to do interviews with Alex Jones now that he's president and that kind of stuff? And I said, hey, I, I don't care if, if Trump makes, gives Alex Jones first chair in the, in the White House press room for the daily briefings with Sean Spicer. If he saves the babies, I don't give a rip what he thinks of Alex Jones. It doesn't, that's not nearly as important to me. And I have this one guy who keeps pulling this tweet out and, and trying to label me as aligned with Alex Jones. Um, see, that's the game. The game is to make this about names. And the reality is, if we allow this to be about personalities, we're going to lose this issue. Because they're going to find something stupid, problematic, something in every single feed because people are human beings and you're going to find something you can distort, etc. The whole game here from the very beginning, and when I say the beginning, it's the beginning of political correctness 25 years ago. This whole game has been to, for, you know, leftists want to label everybody who disagrees with them, a racist, a misogynist, a homophobe, a xenophobe, you're a bigot. So that, no, so that there's no, and bigots don't deserve rights, and you're not worthy of being entertained, you're not worthy of being debated, your views are beneath contempt. They're unholy. They're verboten. They're null and void. Dead on arrival. That's the game. And this is not a new game. This has been the game for the last quarter century. So uh, to me, this isn't about personalities. And when we make it about defending personalities, we are, we, it's the same mistake, in my view, we make with our politicians. Instead of defending your politicians' weaknesses on the basis of their weaknesses aren't as weak as blank, um, hold them accountable for their strengths. You know, this is we the people in order to form a more perfect union. Don't, don't, you're not, you're not responsible for your politicians' performances. They are. They're the ones in office. You are responsible for holding them accountable to it now. But I don't, you know, we have a tendency to put the onus on us. We, we have a tendency to always allow ourselves to get put on the defensive in these conversations. And we're, we're always the ones being cross-examined. This isn't about what you think of Alex Jones or Prison Planet uh, or Louis Farrakhan, frankly. And then they start with these, with these names at the bottom and they'll just work their way up. That's the game here. And we're gonna, they're going to be working their way up to the rest of us while we're still trying to defend these personalities at the bottom. And then we, then we turn on each other. Well, you won't defend the same personalities that I will. 
That's the game. This is the oldest strategy in warfare, guys. This is divide and conquer. That's the game being played here. Don't play it. See, that logo behind me, they're the ones banning people. They're the ones making these decisions. So so since they're the ones making the offensive, and I don't mean that in terms of temperament, I mean that in terms of method. They're going on offense to, uh, to, to ban people and deplatform them. Who's making the decision to deplatform, deplatform, uh, deplatform people? Prison Planet or Facebook? Who's making the decision? Facebook. So therefore, who has to justify the decision to deplatform people? One would hope Facebook. So why, that, why aren't we putting the argument there? That is where the argument goes. That's where the argument goes. They have the platform. They're making the choice. They have to justify it. Now they're going to the, they're taking a, the next measure of if you affirmatively use our platform to speak of people in any context that we ban, we will now ban you too. So, hey, I stopped in, you know, I don't even know where Gavin McInnes lives. I never met him. Do you, do you guys know where he lives? Does he live in D.C. No. or any place out there? Because he used to be, I wonder if he lives out there because he used to host the show on CRTV in the studio, right? So I stopped in D.C. Gavin McInnes showed me the best coffee house in D.C. Do I get banned? I get deplatformed for that now? Since I said something positive about somebody that uh, you guys have uh, deemed dangerous, that is the game. So the tweet that I put out there is, it's time to make a choice. And they can make any choice they want. I believe in freedom. It's their intellectual property. They can make the choice, but they, it's, they're, they're being permitted to live outside of regulatory environments and, in, in, and outside of legal structures. No other industry in America is being permitted this. No other industry. And this one is being permitted it while controlling the free flow of information at the same time. That's a bad recipe to maintain a free society, guys. So it is time for them to make a choice. If they wish to be publishers, then they are. And if they want to ban all of us, it would suck. Wouldn't make any of our jobs easier. But we would all agree that I guess we'll have to start a competitor then, right? But they're not being permitted that choice. What's Alex Jones's recourse? You know, you're going to say, and you're going to use a format that 80% of Americans have access to to label people as dangerous? You know, if the Washington Post recklessly puts something in its paper, say Covington Catholic, they're going to go to court over that, right? Correct. Facebook now just told America, these people are dangerous. How do I defend myself against libelous, slanderous? Or when, how would I do that? That's the same slippery slope, moving the goalposts, getting you sooner or later. They strategically pick the ones yes. that don't ha- yep. perhaps don't collectively have the class action yeah. gravitas That's to go exactly get right. That's exactly right. Okay, that is, so if they want to be a publisher, if they want to make editorial comments and decisions about who has their platform, we don't believe, as, as liberty-loving people here, we don't believe you should have to use your intellectual property to disseminate and, demonst- and, and, and distribute messages you don't agree with. We all agree with that, yep. whether it's a baker or any, whether it's one small baker in Colorado yeah. or a multinational conglomerate, we, we all agree with yeah. that. And there are red herring, uh, smart set conservatives, there are smart set conservatives who th- throw out the canard, the red herring, that what the argument that uh, some conservatives are making is that we just want the government to regulate uh, social media. No, that's not the argument we're making. It is, it is, we want these social media companies to tell us who they are yes. so that we can then go about our lives. We have laws. If you own a coffee shop and you put out a big white billboard and it says Gavin McInnes is dangerous, don't associate with him. 
Alex Jones is dangerous. Don't ass- you could be sued for that. You could be sued for that. You just own one coffee shop with a white billboard that you put outside your restaurant. Okay. So I, what is it? What is there? This isn't about government control. This no. is about we have laws that to protect someone from monopolizing the free flow of information like this and scarlet lettering people. Now, if they don't want to be in the publisher business, then they're public utilities. And you can say so-and-so is dangerous. It's just that everybody gets to say that. That's right. You know, you didn't get, no one, no one denied Larry Flint a phone number in the 1970s and 80s when he was a smut peddler pioneer. I mean, you, you can't, American energy doesn't get to turn off our power because they don't like our views on gay marriage. So we're, well, we're, we, are, we are yet, you're right. That's where we're heading. Though. Yes, that's the point. So it, you, you must, you, they must be compelled to make a choice. And they're welcome to make any choice they want. But it's actually unfair to a lot of other businesses that have to work in this regulatory environment that have to put up with legal malfeasance and potential liability that they don't. I got pushback on this this over the weekend from Jay Caruso. I think I met Jay once. I think we were on a panel together at Red State uh, 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 gathering a few years ago, but I don't know him very well. His bio says he's the deputy editor at DC Examiner, used to be with the Dallas Morning News, and he's been published at National Review, The Atlantic, and The Daily Beast. And so in response to my tweet that it may end up being the most shared thing I've ever put out there, I suppose I may have the president's son to thank for that since he glommed onto it. But uh, he says, what I'm offering is a false choice. They're not public ideas, uh, public utilities. And the idea that Facebook and Twitter are the same as the New York Times or NRO is absurd as the latter have editors that make decisions on what makes it online and in print. Do you want that restriction on Facebook and Twitter? Now, I want to treat Jay as fairly as I possibly can, but, you know, I don't really see a need to bring him on because he shared his thoughts with me in a tweet storm here. He says, I understand your frustrations. The safe safe harbor provision gives Facebook and Twitter wide latitude to implement rules arbitrarily, and it is frustrating as the tech industry leans left, but fear of liability would make these platforms unusable. Not only that, it would create the same situation for ISPs, domain registrars, and web hosting platforms. They'd all exercise extreme caution, and that would just make things worse for everyone. We're already there. Correct me if I'm wrong, but the reason we are having this argument is because what Jay says, if we, if if Jay says this is what will happen if we do this, isn't this not what is happening? I know of one major conservative network that was started, and they and they were using they they had uh, purchased the technology of MLB.com to launch their platform, and they and the left went after MLB.com and said, "Hey, you can't allow this conservative network to buy your to buy your property uh, property you know uh, that's your proprietary property. They're a bunch of haters. You can't do that." They, we already threw out the guy who created Mozilla. It was his company. Didn't we throw him out? Yes. So if I'm missing something, I read for you. I read to you verbatim what Jake Russo sent to me from the DC Examiner. He's to me when when if Facebook is banning people and labeling them dangerous, is that not an editorial decision? That yeah, that's the first thing that I thought of. That that you're making an editorial decision. Yes. Even if it's something like with Louis Farrakhan that a lot of people would probably agree with, that's still an editorial decision. Same for Paul Joseph. You're making editorial decisions all you know up and down the board here, um, and have been doing so for a long time. I'm not sure what 
I'm not sure what he's getting at uh, other than maybe saying that, I don't know, uh, New York Times have some special editors that because they work for a legacy publication, they're somehow different than what Facebook is. That makes no sense to me. We're already seeing, if you're watching this, Jay, everything you put me in your tweet storm is why we're having this debate. They're doing everything that you put in your tweet to me, Jay. That's why we're having it. We're here because they're making these editorial decisions. Google's determining what, what you get to see in your searches when they come up and who and, and not. We're already, everything that you're warning, this will happen. Jay, we're having this argument because it's happening, okay? In no other context could you possibly get me to even remotely approach being the risk of being affirmatively linked in any way, shape, or form other than we both happen to be made in the image of God with the likes of Alex Jones. So the only reason we're even having this conversation, Jay, is because everything you're worried about is going to happen and warn is happening. They're already making all these editorial decisions. Every day I have people send me pictures of things they want to post on their Facebook walls and then they keep posting them and they're gone. Uh, Post not available, tweet not available. I have viewers and listeners send this stuff to me, scores of it, weekly. I see this all the time. They're already making these editorial decisions, my friend. That's exactly why it is time then if they want to make them, it's their business, they may do so, but then they are subject to the same regulatory environment and legal apparatus that the rest of us who make those decisions are subject to as well. We'll be back with more here in a moment, live and on demand on The Blaze. Stay tuned. So most of us don't have a stoplight at the uh, at the dinner table telling us when to stop eating because that, that would be weird. Um and most of us don't have somebody right as you're talking in a camera, grab a cup. So they're like, they're lurch from Adam's family and you just see a creepy hand totally distracting you from what you're trying to do off on the side. But most of us wouldn't have a friend like Bob Vanderplatz either who couldn't take a drink the last five minutes. So I had to <laughs> but do I'm it right thirsty now. now. Yeah, I had to go. do it right now. Yeah, that's all right. We got your back, brother. So Bob probably does have, you have a, you have a, a, a stopwatch there or a stop sign telling you when to stop eating? Absolutely not. Absolutely not, no. But your body does. Uh, the problem is the older we get, uh, the less present uh, it tends to be. It's a substance called OEA. It sends a signal to your brain that you're full. But for some of us, particularly the older we get, that signal just isn't as strong as it used to be. And that's why we keep eating. We keep gaining weight. Uh, but there is a product out there that wants to put that OEA that was there when you were younger back into your body and make that signal stronger. It's called Riduzone. It's got three ingredients. One is rice. Uh, The main ingredient is OEA. It doesn't have any caffeine. It's not a stimulant of any kind. Uh, This is just meant to put that natural signal back into your body to send that signal to your brain. Hey, we're good here. We can stop eating. If if you've lost the battle of the bulge and you want to get back up off the mat and start fighting it again, let Riduzone give you, uh, have your back where that's concerned. Uh, You can go to the website and give it a shot. Riduzone.com. R-I-D-U-Z-O-N-E. R-I-D-U-Z-O-N-E for Riduzone. And when you go to the website, they'll give you a special offer right now at riduzone.com. So uh, now we bring in the rest of him, not just that creepy right hand in the corner of your screen. I could have used Riduzone before I grabbed that yeah. drink. I wanted, saying, to rid, I wanted you've to rid had you enough. I wanted to rid you of something. Yeah, when you did that. Yes. <laughs> How are you, my friend? Good to see you. I'm doing very well. Good to be back. So we had um, your, uh, uh, your communications guy here at the Family Leader with us uh, last week. 
Drusan. Yeah, talking about the effort you guys are making uh, with the Democrats. The Iowa caucuses are still going on. The Republicans, as it stands right now, don't have, even though they have an announced primary candidate in Bill Weld, uh, but I don't think they're scheduled to have a caucus. Have you heard? Bill, Bill who? Yeah, I mean, okay. Yeah, Bill Weld makes you know Mitt Romney you know look like uh, uh, Al Hag. So um, <laughs> well, that's a. I don't know where that reference came from. Wow. You guys are though the Democrats are here in full force. They're up to I think twenty one candidates. Twenty one candidates. And they're going to have a pare down process because the stage they're constructing for the first Democratic presidential debate can't fit more than twenty. They're saying. Mm-hmm. So it'll be fascinating to see how they work that. Because, you know, the Republicans who weren't put on the stage handled it so well a few years ago. Um, we the had Demo- Team A and the <laughs> yeah. Junior Varsity. Yes. Um, I'm sure Democrats who are more inclined to accept uh, notions of entitlement will handle not being accepted uh, with aplomb, maturity, and discretion. Probably not. Probably not. Uh, so you're, you guys are trying to engage the Democrats. We told our audience about this last week, trying to invite them to your family leadership summit that you guys have in July, sit down, similar to what you did with the uh, Republican candidates in the past. And, and this time, you know, and, and like you did with the Republicans, you're not initially going to grill them on specific policy, but it's really about who are you? What, what motivates you? What makes you tick? You know, what's your worldview? That kind of thing. You want to have that conversation with the Democrats, right? We definitely want to have that conversation. And you're getting nowhere with this so far which does not surprise me at all, but you decide now, you decided over the weekend you want to double down. So you wrote a column, uh, a guest op-ed, and, and really Iowa Democrats' paper of record, the Des Moines Register. Went into their venue. Yeah. Wrote an op-ed. Yeah. And you've inviting done Inviting again. You've done that several times. You've, I mean, you've, you've gone into several of the liberal leftist enclaves in Iowa. Yes, America, we even have some here in the heartland. You've done that several times, and, and you know, they've invited you to be their straw man, You've shown up, not given what they wanted, you know, but they invite you, you come. So now you're like, hey, it's time to return the favor, right? Time to reciprocate. Yeah, yeah. I, I put on the white jersey. I was the road I went, I was the road team here. Okay, you guys picked the rules, picked the refs. I still came and played, did my part. I played the game as best I could. Time now for you guys to take a road trip, right? We're the home team now. And you are making an effort in the Des Moines Register to get their attention. How's it going now? Well, we haven't heard yet. Uh, well, what's interesting, though, well, we have heard back channel privately from some very unlikely sources, uh, sources that probably aren't going to make a guest appearance on the Steve Day show anytime soon. Okay. But they're really believing that these Democrat candidates are missing an opportunity, that this is an opportunity. I mean, they're, they're talking about unity. Let's talk about unity. They're talking about their faith. Let's talk about your faith. And as you just mentioned, this is not about Donald Trump. It's not about who you're against. It's not about – it's about who you are, what motivates you, what generates you, and how can we determine that you're best prepared to run for president of the United States? Now, we may use things that you've said in the past, and we want to have a discussion on that. But again, it's, it's not set up to be a gotcha environment. It's supposed to be a safe environment, a civil environment. Let's have a civil dialogue. Let's model that we can have a civil dialogue, even over deep, fundamental disagreements. So you mentioned you've had people, uh, some back-channel people who would never come on this show that would be more uh, in alignment with the uh, views of those that are running for the Democratic nomination, saying, hey, they should, they should take you up on this. Uh, where's their courage of conviction? Why aren't they themselves speaking out? Well, frankly, I think some of them are. Uh, matter of fact, uh, Donna Redwing's longtime partner, Sumitra, texted me and said that she was planning on 
contacting some of these people because, in her words, she was sad and angry that they weren't responding to say, I'll come to your stage. Because she knows all too well, I did go to Woolley's Bar. I did go to the university settings. I did go to the social clubs. I did go to public radio. I went to all those settings with their moderator of choice and had the conversation. And what happens is that when we left, I think people are actually better. And people benefited from the conversation. So now we're saying we're going to give them every opportunity to say yes. Come to the stage. I mean, you're going to get points just for showing up to this audience. Because this, most of this audience is not going to vote in a Democrat primary. But it would be your way of showing to America you're the adult in the room. You can cast a vision of unity. You're not afraid to disclose who you are, what your vision for America is, uh, backing up what you've said before, uh, putting it on record. So we're going to give them every opportunity to say yes. Just to reset for our audience around the country, you mentioned a couple of names. Donna Redwing, basically the the founding mother of uh, of uh, the uh, LGBT uh, faction in Iowa? Yeah, she she headed the largest organization in Iowa called One Iowa, the LGBT organization. But more than that, nationally, she's kind of an LGBT pioneer, icon. Uh, People reference her a lot. And she's the one who asked me out for coffee at a leadership summit, the same venue I'm asking these guys to show up at. Mm -hmm. She came to the leadership summit Asked me out for coffee. I accepted. We developed a relationship. It was a deep friendship. Um, you spoke. You spoke at her funeral when she passed I, away last I year. I gave a eulogy at her funeral uh, after she passed away from stage four cancer. I do guarantee you this: if Donna were alive today, she would be right with me and advocating for them to show up to this stage. Matter of fact, she'd probably say, "Why don't we co-host it together at at the environment or at, at the leadership summit?" So this is kind of to honor her, to honor her legacy, to honor her wishes. But it's also to kind of say, you know, I'm tired of this question, and maybe you're tired of the question as well, but how can 85% of evangelicals support Donald Trump? And part of my answer is, well, he talks to us. Uh, He shows up. He wants to visit with us. It's awfully hard to support somebody that won't even talk to you, so why not? At least make the opening available to them. That's what we're doing. What What do you want to accomplish out of this? Really, what I want to accomplish out of this, I don't believe we're going to leave uh, high fiving each other that we agree on policy or that we've changed our decision on who we might support for president uh, during that situation. What I really want to accomplish is that we can model a civil dialogue through conversation, even though we disagree with one another. It doesn't have to be the next synagogue. It doesn't have to be the next church. It doesn't have to be the next nightclub. It can be, let's have a conversation. Why don't we model that as leaders versus running away from that? Steve, I know you all too well. I know Aaron and Todd all too well, and I know myself all too well. If somebody wants to have a conversation about what I believe, I'm more than happy to accept that conversation. Mm -hmm. So to me, if you're running for president, you should know what it is that you believe. As a matter of fact, there's a a tweet by an ACLU attorney who basically said that if if you guys can't back up what you believe on a stage like that, maybe you should second guess why you're running for president Uh, because you're going to have to know why you believe what you believe to be really real. So they're not going to win. If anybody were to come, your chances of winning anybody over in your audience are pretty slim, obviously. But – if they were to come at an event like yours, 
there would be tons of national media that would all come. kinds of national media, and it would give them a platform to speak to the rest of the country. And you know, we had a guy come to your event. It'll be f- four years ago now, and name one of the quackiest self-esteem pushers of all time as his spiritual guru say he never asked God for forgiveness um, because he never did anything wrong. And he prefers POWs that weren't captured or soldiers that weren't captured. And we all walked out of that day and thought campaign's over campaign's over. He's president of the United States. Now I don't know what could they possibly say at your event that would be more implosive to a not to your not to your sure. audience, but to the broader audience around the country. What could they come and say at your event that would be more implosive than that? I, I don't think they could say something at our event that'd be more implosive than that. But I do agree with you. The national media that would cover this would be, uh, uh, frankly, exponential. Their voice would get out all over the place, and they would have the ability to say they had the courage to show up at a venue like sure. this. They had a conversation like this. They it's Bernie be, Sanders going on doing a pl- doing yeah. a thing with Fox News, yeah. for example. They, they want to be president yeah. of all of America, not some of America. I think it really would show a lot of character in regards to yes, I'm willing to do that, even though I deeply disagree on some of the issues. Uh, that might be discussed that day. Can we, year of no BS, right? That's our theme sure. of the show this year? Sure, If you and I are going to be really honest with each other, most of America, outside of our circles or the audience that is watching and listening to us today, do you think most of America's generic religious belief is closer to what a Joe Biden would articulate or what you and I would say? Probably closer to what a Joe Biden would articulate. See, I, I, I agree with that. I do. A generic, you know, theistic notion. I go to mass, you know, they taught me to be nice to people, yeah. you know. I'm a good uh, person. Make the world a better place. That, that's, you know, and hell's only for Osama bin Laden, Hitler, and child molesters, right? I mean, that, right. is that not what probably most Americans think? Sure. So him coming, being Uncle Joe, and communicating that, while it would probably get guffaws from an audience that's more uh, worldview-driven and, and uh, biblically grounded like yours would get guffaws and would, you know, roll their eyes. I was 20 feet from Donald Trump when he said that stuff that day, and there were plenty of guffaws and eye rolls that day too. And a lot of gas. And a lot of gas. Audible I heard gas. him. Yes. Yeah, I might have been one of them standing <laughs> right there. Uh, and he, he, he survived, you know. So the broader audience out there, that's a lot of what their viewpoints are. No doubt about it. The reason I'm I'm saying these things is because I'm trying to remove every potential false objection here. To, I, I, you and I are good friends. If you were doing this and I didn't think it was interesting, I wouldn't rip you. We'd, I just wouldn't let you come on and talk about it. Sure. I'd find something that would be more interesting we talk about. I think this is a very important process you're undergoing for our audience to witness. Because I actually think all the risk is on your side. I don't know if I've ever told you that yet. So I'll just tell you now, live on the air in front of like thousands and thousands of people. <laughs> I think all the risk is actually on your side. Well, thanks for telling me now. And, and, but the reason why I think all the risk is actually on your side is because I of what you and I just agreed to a few minutes ago. I think the generic, I, I don't think the generic, whatever Cory Booker's generic religious view doesn't line up with, but I think like a Joe Biden 
and two or three of these other candidates could articulate, Amy Klobuchar, could articulate a generic religious viewpoint that most Americans would nod their heads and say, yeah, that makes sense to me. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I believe yeah. just like you do. Yeah, because we only have two states in the union right now where a majority of the general population goes to a church on a weekend, Utah and Missouri. They're the only two. So the majority of Americans in the, majority of, in the vast majority of states are unchurched. So they would kind of, yeah, yeah, that, that makes sense to me. I, I get that. You know, he, hey, he, he's like a regular person. The fact that they're not willing to take you up on this is why I think this is so important to our audience. Because I think all the risk is on your end, because you are potentially giving them a platform to show off, basically. And they won't take you up on it. And I, I don't know, you know, Occam's razor is always in effect on this show, always has been. There's only one reason they wouldn't take you up on it. Well, there's two, I guess. Colossal stupidity, that, and that's possible. All right? That is a possible issue, a reason. The other is that they're, they're letting you know that when they get control of the reins of government, they're going to step on your neck. And there's no point in treating you like an American citizen and a human being now, given what they have planned to do to you and your religious freedom and your antiquated beliefs later on once given the power to do so. I don't know what other two options there are. And that's really a test that we're putting them to because one is – we know that if they show up, they get points just for showing up. Mm -hmm. I remember when I went to those different venues with Don, I got points just for walking in the venue. Mm -hmm. And then if we can articulate in a civil manner and dialogue toward people leaving, go, you know, I, I really don't hate you anymore. Matter of fact, you seem to be a likable guy, a kind of a normal guy. We just disagree. That's a huge win for me. But if they're not willing to do that, that sends a whole nother message to us. It's a deal of not only do are we not going to come to your stage or to your platform, the message will be very clear is that we don't believe your voice should be heard. That's exactly right. And that yeah. is a stunning message to send not to the family leader, not to Bob Aaron not to Steve Dace and the Steve Dace Show, mm -hmm. but to millions of Americans who claim a faith, Christian, Judaism, Muslim, whatever it is, of saying, you know what, if we disagree with you, your voice shouldn't be heard. That's a big issue. I totally agree. I think that is, that's the real test of this situation. And that's why, Steve, we are bending over backwards to give these campaigns because every opportunity once to Once we say conclude yes. that's what they want, there's no turning back yep. at that point, right? And, and so we want to give every benefit of the doubt for them to prove us wrong, right? And their part where you say all the risks is on our side, if they accept, say a Pete Buttigieg accepts or uh, Joe Biden accepts or whoever accepts, let's say they accept. There's a lot of risk in that environment as well because we can come off looking really bad mm -hmm. on if we pushed it too far, if we didn't push it far enough. There's all we know the risk associated with it. We believe this would be healthy for America. We're all upset at the synagogues and the churches and the nightclubs. So let's get to a conversation then. Let's have a discussion about it. And maybe what we can do is wake up the voice of the church to say, guys, you need to engage in this conversation as well. All right, Bob. Good to see you, man. Thanks Good for joining to see us again this God week. Bless. Hey, if you've got uh, itchy ears, ear pain, not like real itchy ears, not the kind that might be in the context of the conversation we were just having, but uh, real ear pain, uh, that, that real plugged up feeling if you're constantly asking people to repeat themselves. If any of these problems sound familiar to you, you're like millions of Americans that are forced to go to the doctor to get a professional ear cleaning uh, and put up with uh, the weight, the co-pays, everything else. But now you can get all the same results in the comfort and convenience of your own home 
with a product called WaxRx, which, by the way, is now available without a prescription as well. WaxRx is a physician-developed technology that safely and effectively removes earwax buildup and then soothes the ear with that pH condition formula, just like they do for you at the doctor's office. But now you can do it uh, yourself right there at your home. No prescriptions, co-pays, none of the hassles. Just go to the website, usewaxrx.com. Try it risk-free today at usewaxrx, all one word, usewaxrx.com. Offer code radio at checkout for free shipping, all right? Usewaxrx.com. Offer code radio at checkout for free shipping. We're about out of time. Todd, do you have something that you, you, yeah, you, I did do. you wanted to add I, there I at the end? I think there's definitely danger on Bob's side, but there's a ton of danger on their side as well. You, there's a lot of people, by definition, on the left in the cult that are supposed to hate Bob. If they come in and they don't try to go for his jugular, that's going to be a problem. I mean, look what they did. Yeah, Pete Buttigieg, I know he's gay, but he's still basically a white guy. They're fraught with peril in coming in to do this. I know there's a lot of the Christians that you're talking about. You're absolutely right. But the flip side of that is if you don't hate Bob and what he stands for enough— then you're anathema to us. Those are the people who control the media. They control Twitter. They control the conversation. So that's what they're thinking through on this as well. So you're, you, the risk is that Bob comes across in his group, reasonable people, we just disagree, and they look like the radicals and they've shut the well, Overton window on themselves. But if, they, if they're if they also like Bob and find him likable and have a real conversation, that's not what leftists want to have. That's true. They want to remove him from the conversation. And think they're proving that, you bet. We'll come back with Hour 2 here in a moment. Stay tuned. We're back with Hour 2, live and on demand on The Blaze. This is Steve Dace. Todd and Aaron are here with me as well as they are each and every broadcast day here on The Blaze. Steve at stevedace.com. That's how you can email the show. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show. For those of you listening today via Blaze Radio and the podcast, we appreciate you. Last name is spelled D-E-A-C-E. Um, we'll get to our Truth Bombs book study here. Uh, in just a matter of moments. The conversation we just had with Bob Vanderplotz continued out uh, during uh, the break. And if I were advising them, I'd make no further accommodations. I, I wouldn't offer anything else than what has been offered. I'd offer him the same moderator that the Republican candidates got a few years ago, Frank Luntz. Uh, he'll tell you himself, secular Jew, not really religiously observant from Fox, but he's also worked for CBS and numerous other mainstream media outlets, I'd make no further accommodations. None. Stop negotiating. You're not, stop. I wouldn't, I'm not saying they're doing that. I wouldn't negotiate. Yeah, that's the, that's, that's the game they play with the Republican party all the time. You go up there, negotiate against yourself. And, and the, here are the terms here. These are the terms. You will slit your throat or they will. Those are the terms. So you offer them the same deal you offered everybody else. And if they're not willing to accept, then it's, then it, then they're the ones that declared war on you, not the other way around. Your thoughts? Well, you can get into the particulars if we want to, but I will simply say this. Uh, you, you underestimate the level of discomfort leftist, leftists are put into when they get out from behind their keyboard and their hiding place where they can just yap and yap and yap. And either they have to turn it down and then you have that on them. Or if they try to come in there, the, if, if you're, they're not 
they're not capable I know they're not. of getting away which is what the optics of what we were talking about of what, how you could you you could own a conversation perhaps in a way that you hardly ever can i don't think what you're saying is remotely unreasonable i mean it's probably the best course to go all i'm saying is while we're having this discussion consider that you, i trust I, these reporters that i spent my time with for 12 years man they they would not dare to try to get away with the boilerplate propaganda in front of that audience that they do on a normal basis there's there's a, a couple different reasons why i did so many appearances as the token uh, Republican at the time on MSNBC during the 2012 campaign. And the first was I was just starting out in national media, man. So I, I had to get my name out there. And that's just, oh yeah, <laughs> that's, you know, hate the game, not the player. That's the, you know, this is a business. So I got to get my name, I, you know, mind share is market share and the other way around. The other reason though, is I wanted to see if what you just said was true. Because I, I really tried to look at their arguments beyond the emotion. And, and I, I saw no argument and I'm like, maybe I'm in my own echo chamber and there's something here I haven't thought of, you know, maybe, maybe there's angles to this. They have that, you know, that because we don't often see these debates, maybe there's something I don't know. And I was curious, you know, I mean, I, I wanted to test my, my beliefs up against theirs and see if there is another pitch in the repertoire that I just don't see when I'm watching them on film. And you know what I found after doing more than 50 of those? There's not another pitch in the yeah. repertoire. There is no other argument. In many cases, they haven't even been confronted with the arguments we bring to the table. Uh, I mean, the amount of indoctrination, the yeah. amount of cultural uh, conformity, and you know, it's this whole thing. It, it's it's a small story like uh, Nick Bosa, the number two pick in the NFL draft. And there's a story out today that they went to 49ers ownership with his tweets uh, in support of Donald Trump. Right, you know, can you put this on your team? Now- I don't recall, may, may, if it's happened, please alert me to it. I don't ever recall an instance. Nate Rush, Glenn, Levin, just pick some big name in conservative media. And I don't know that guy you know, fits into your NFL locker room because he likes Obama. He likes Clinton. You ever heard anything like that in your life? I've never heard that. And the reason why is because these news, and I, and I put this on one of my, on, on uh, my sports Twitter account today. These newsrooms that preach the mantra of diversity are homogenous. No. You know this. Absolutely. How much of them are white? Overwhelming amounts yeah. of them are white. Yeah. Overwhelming them amounts of them are uh, kids that grew up in affluent homes that right. were right. could have, could afford the notions of progressive utopianism because they weren't playing let's dodge the drug dealer and the and the drive-by shooter on the way to school, right? Right. Um they went to, you know, colleges most Americans can't afford or get into and they either got scholarships or they've got student loans. Not always, but that's what predominantly the, when I was on the the news hour on PBS the day after the 2016 election, I asked him how many people in your newsroom right now? I asked them this on the air. How many of them go to church on a regular yeah, basis? How many of them have ever been to a pro-life rally? How many? How many? See, they the ones preaching diversity, they're they're almost completely homogenized. Right. Whereas an NFL locker room, you have 53 guys in that locker room. I think they all have the same desires, values, principles, religions. Uh, that's true diversity right there. That's that's where, you know, uh, the guy who, uh, is, you know, that's where Philip Rivers and his nine kids and they're homeschooling them all goes up there and slaps Muhammad Wilkerson a high five. Hey, nice sack. Great job, friend. 
That's your true. That's right. what true diversity looks like. But these newsrooms that are going back and seeing what Nick Bosa tweeted, you know, two or three or four or five, six years ago, they don't have true diversity. They have homogenization. So they don't really understand what it means to meld numerous yeah. different viewpoints into a cohesive unit. They, they have no experience with what they're actually preaching because they're not really preaching diversity. And so what they're you, really preaching is homogenization. Diversity for me, but not for thee. And so when you bring, if you bring somebody like that into the conversation, you want to give them carte blanche and let them run the show. But if you let, who, who's the, I just brought her up and now her name's escaping me. The gal we had on the show, the reporter that most nobody knows. Heather uh, Timmons. Yeah. Yeah. Heather Timmons. But yeah. they, look how she, look how she acted here in this show, how she was treated. Uh, she, she was not hysterical. Mm-hmm. Look how she is on a regular basis. Obsessed. That that distinction, it, it's it's productive to show that. Why wouldn't? Why why the schizophrenia? Why do you not? Why do you then go out and treat us like that? When when you came in here, you were allowed to ask just about any question you want. That I, I think there's value, maybe not in this particular time and chase, but considering the importance of getting them out because they are they think they're bulletproof. Trust mm-hmm. me, at the register when they're behind their uh, word processor, and they don't want to come out, and that's why they didn't like me because I and within that room I made them come out. Millions of Americans are living with what's called chronic pain. This is pain caused by inflammation, and there's a product called Relief Factor that uh, several of the people here at The Blaze have had amazing results with. Now, I have kind of held off talking about my own experience with this because I wanted to give it some more time. But I'm uh, a full two weeks into my first three-week usage of this. And when I took it to my physician, had her sign off on it, uh, and uh, she did. And I got to tell you, I'm two weeks into this. Man, I I can see why people are raving about it. I'm... Um, now let me, let me say this up front. This, this isn't going to fix injuries. You know, I have a hip flexor injury at some point. I'm going to probably need hip replacement surgery. Okay. So I have a hip flexor injury, but you know, around that injury, I, I, there was a ton of inflammation, man. I'm using trigger point rolls and stretches and massages. And I still, you know, the recovery time, post-workouts, things of that nature. Um, you guys, you, you guys haven't even heard me complain about leg day today. Have you? Wow, now that you mention it. Yeah. Because we hear a lot of complaints about leg day. Is it because today is not leg day? Today? (laughs) (laughs) Well, that would be stepping on my own phallus here in the middle of a commercial. But no, today was leg day. Today was leg day. And I even changed up my routine, made it a little bit tougher um, because a little bit more uh, impact because I'm... I'm feeling really good. My flexibility and stuff has dramatically improved because a lot of that inflammation has diminished. So... I'm so far anyway, I, I am your latest uh, blaze success, success story with relief factor. If you want to give it a try, it's created by doctors, hundred percent drug free, um, four key ingredients, all natural, uh, to help you win the battle against inflammation and chronic pain. They've got a trial pack. It's for three weeks. It's just a dollar a day. So just 20 bucks to get you started. You got nothing to lose, maybe except the pain. Finally, give it a shot. Relieffactor.com. That's relieffactor.com. All right, let's get to it. We continue our study of my most recent book, Truth Bombs, Confronting the Lies Conservatives Believed or Our Own Demise. And if you've had a chance to read the book and you liked it, if you wouldn't mind leaving us a five-star review at Amazon, we would greatly appreciate that. And all of you that have done that for us and purchased a copy, we appreciate you doing that for us as well. Uh, This week, we're talking about lie number 11, The battle is between conservatives and liberals. 
But here's the truth bomb. There really aren't any liberals anymore. The battle is really leftists versus what's left of America. And a lot of what's in this chapter is a, is a compilation of major themes that if you're a regular listener to this show or viewer to this show, you are familiar with because they're, they're some of the foundational uh, notions that we keep returning to as we analyze what's going on socioeconomically, culturally, and politically. But let me give you some examples out of the book of what the difference is between a liberal and a leftist in real time. What does that look like? What are, what are applicable examples? Yesterday's liberals believed in free speech so much they fought to protect even what most Americans would consider to be obscenity. Today's leftists find it obscene that you challenge their views and want you to no longer be protected to do so. That's a difference we've seen. Yesterday's liberals wanted all the kids to read books like Catcher in the Rye. I was at uh, I was doing a pool workout yesterday. It's my flexibility stretch workout on Sundays after church, and they've got the eighty station playing there inside the uh, uh, the the pool area. And uh, Billy Joel's "We Didn't Start the Fire" comes on. Classic. Yeah, and it makes a reference to Catcher in the Rye. See, yesterday's liberals wanted you to read that book because it encouraged or inspired contrarian thinking and behavior. Today's leftists don't want you reading that book because it may encourage or inspire you to have views contrary to theirs because they're not interested in diversity. They're interested in homogenization. They're interested in control. Yesterday's liberals believed in softening societal norms. Today's leftists believe in replacing them altogether. Yesterday's liberals viewed themselves as champions of dissent. Today's leftist vow, you will be made to care if you dare to dissent. Yesterday's liberals believed in global cooling. Today's leftists believe in global warming. And if you don't celebrate a holiday created by a dude who murdered and composted his girlfriend, then you're a science denier. Yesterday's liberals rallied to political dissidents in contrarian countries or in totalitarian countries. Today's leftists create dissidents by throwing the likes of Kim Davis in jail, bankrupting families like the Kleins, like, you know, any good totalitarian would. That's, that's the evolution or transition that we have witnessed. Or maybe another way of saying it is it was always going to go here. We're just now in the next phase here. You know, we, we, the first phase was we introduce dissembling notions. Phase two is we now go for the uh, the hammer and the sickle. We go for the iron fist. We we go to put our boots to your neck. And how this is wrapped up, and and where the the fervor, the zealots, the zealous, the zealotry comes from, is and I've used this a lot on this show too. In fact, this is one of the show's creeds. The heresy of this age is spirit of the age progressivism. That's what we're up against. It is not a political ideology. The political ideology is, it's, is the way that it lives out its faith. Similar to, if, you know, unless you're, you know, one of those, you know, Republican first or, you know, types who, if you ask them what religion they are, they say, well, I'm a Republican. But most Christians, when they're doing it right, how you vote and the stances you take 
are the application of your faith. As they're the result of, of your faith. Same thing's happening over here. That's the same exact thing. If you're a pastor or if you have a pastor and he's like, I don't want to, I don't want to preach about politics. Now, I, I don't want him up standing up there and, you know, handing out uh, team GOP voter registration cards or anything of that nature either. You know, if, I, I probably wouldn't go to a church that was still handing out the Faith and Freedom Coalition voter guide. I, I probably would stop going, honestly. Like at our new church, if I showed up and they were handing those out, I think it'd be our last Sunday. Because I think those are a complete and total scam. A complete and total partisan scam. But that doesn't remove the truth of what we're up against in this zeitgeist, though, either. What you're up against, this is the Marcion, the Arius. This is the spirit of the age. This is the Kaiser Curious, Caesar is Lord. This is, this, is the, this is the spirit of the age, is what progressivism is. It is a religion. It's a cult. I'm going to prove it to you. Because here, out of this chapter, here are the characteristics of any other cult. And tell me if the spirit of the age progressivism doesn't check every one of these boxes. Number one, a creation story to replace the biblical account. You have to be able to answer the why are we here? Where do we come from? Every religion cult has to answer that question. Otherwise, people leave because it's the most deep-seated question of all of human existence. In the case of progressivism, this is Darwinian evolution. A random and meaningless origin story with no divine accountability. This is why progressives in education always ruthlessly remove any skeptics of Darwin within the faculty. Just as the rest of the Bible falls apart, if it's not true that God created the world, so does progressivism collapse if it's true that he did. Years ago, the guy I dedicated this book to, my, old, my late friend Jonathan Narciss, the first time I tried to use my show to do direct, not this is what I believe in, no, direct. Now, I want you to go vote, do this. The first time I tried to use direct political activism in, via my show was to go after Iowa's largest school board here in Des Moines that was overrun with paganism. And we recruited a group of candidates that were really good. One of them we recruited was a very respected Catholic uh, successful businessman from one of the largest companies here in Des Moines. We recruited him to run. And we wanted him to run because he was from that wing of the Republican Party that thought people like me are nuts. People like me are blowing this all way out of proportion. We're the ones that are going to, you know, cause a civil war. We're the ones that are radical, you know, that, you know, we're the ones that when they get together with their Democrat neighbors, you know, there behind their gated communities, uh, they're, they're, you know, they're snickering about us behind our backs. I wanted him, we wanted him to see for himself. His name was Steve. And so he ran for school board, went all out. And he worked, he's, he was the VP of a corporation that's given, I can't tell you how many millions of dollars to public education and their causes. It's a major corporation. If you're from the Midwest, if I told you, you were like, oh yeah, I know who they are. He's a member of my parish. Oh, you know who, so you know who I'm talking about. I know about. Steve. Yeah, okay. He came back after, the, after it was over, and you know what he told me? Everything you warned me about was true. You were right the entire time. He said, Steve, I, I did at least a half dozen candidate forms for, to run for this school board seat. I was never once asked, what are you going to do to get 
our reading and uh, math standards higher in the district? What are you going to do about making sure we manage our money better so that we have, you know, we don't cancel drama clubs and music uh, programs and things of that nature? What are you going to do, uh, you know, about um, uh, our higher academic standards and raising, raising our graduation rate? Those questions never came up. At every forum he went to, he was asked the same two questions every single time. Are you against teaching Darwinism in the schools? And uh, what are you going to do to promote uh, homosexuality? That's what he was asked at every single forum. This was back in 2007 and 8. So we're going back a full, more than a full decade now is when we did this. That's what we're talking about here with this. Your thoughts, Todd? Well, that's all the more powerful, uh, yes, because I do know the man. Uh, I, I, I wish it, it was such an obvious uh, lesson. And that's where the frustration of that, rereading this chapter this is a um, this is a frustrating chapter to read, not, and it's not because it's new information. We talk about this stuff all the time, but as you said, this is where it, the weight of the, uh, the the default religion of the age. It's it's kind of it's just this ugly blanket mm-hmm. that uh, that sits over you, and it you really come to terms with the fact. And this is. Uh, uh, it's as, it's a, an example of yours that comes into my mind these days more and more often when you talk about Moses and his people with their backs against the Red Sea, and he says, "Stand still and wait for the salvation I mean, of the Lord." I, I don't know what else, man. I don't know what else because th- that's not a unique observation you made about our, our friend Steve there. But we don't learn the lesson, man. We don't wake up. No, in fact, he actually ended up becoming a donor to the family leader for a while. He was so traumatized. By what he was. Yeah, he went. He went from thinking we were all nuts to writing these guys donor checks because of, he lived through. I mean, I didn't bug him. I said, hey, "Go get him," but I'm warning you, what's going to happen now? No, 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 no. I know these people. We golf together. We go to the same restaurants. We eat. We, you know, we 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 roll together. We talk about people like you, Steve, behind your back together. That's essentially what he was saying. Came back. Six months later, traumatized, traumatized by what he had witnessed. And that was more than a decade ago. Second thing a cult does is uses tools of distortion. Now, this is the role postmodernism plays for progressivism. It's a contagion unleashed by progressives to take us all the way back to the first lie in the garden. Did God really say? The point of this exercise is to replace clarity with confusion and intellectually give people who succumb to it permission to be their own gods by determining what's true for them. I even see conservatives use the phrase, I'm living my truth. Let me stop right there. No one has ever had their own truth in the history of humankind. You know what? Everyone in hell has something in common. You know what it is? They believe they were living their own truth. You don't have your own truth. And I don't, and you don't. None of you watching me have your own truth. None of you within the sound of my voice have your own truth. No one has their own truth. You have your own story that may or may not be true and may or may not line up to the overarching truths of the universe, but no one ever, ever has had their own truth. Now, when you say you have your own truth, you're saying you're God. And as Captain America once said, there's only one God, ma'am, and I'm pretty sure he doesn't dress like that. 
Okay? So he be not you. You don't have your own truth. But this is the tools of distortion. This is what postmodernism does. Once a culture accepts that there is no absolute truth, which in and of itself, of course, is an absolute truth, right? Um, it will start standing for the my truth. And if you disagree with someone's personal truth or point out to them, your truth is totally manure, you're a bigot, of course. Last summer, you know, they have cycles of these ads that run in the movies. You know, and they switch them out seasonably. Last summer, Diet Coke ran a series of ads with their new summer flavors. You do you. do You, you live out your truth. Every movie in every theater I was at all summer long, I promise you. I promise you I did this. And if you've known me for more than 15 minutes, you will believe that I did this. In every single movie where that commercial aired, I yelled at it every time. What if you suck? I did it every time. What did I every time? Every time it aired, I did it. Every single time. Where do you get the right to do you? What if you suck? Ted Bundy. I am just doing me. We have kinds of Ted Bundy documentaries now. There's a new movie out where the kid from High School Musical is playing him. You know, we're like Ted Bundy obsessed at the moment. He's just, you know, living his truth. Where do you get off? Putting him in behind bars for it. It's his truth. Do you, Ted? What though if you suck? By, and by, by what standard would we know whether we suck? And I should continue doing me. Would we, if, if only, it's, a, it's really a cry and shame. No such standard has been provided for us. So I guess we'll just continue to embrace the suck, gentlemen. Your thoughts? Well, maybe, maybe you just need to take some time to, to find yourself. Uh, maybe, that's, maybe that's where you get your truth. Uh, as far as the distortion goes... This is how the left gets away with what we talked about on Friday, um, where they co-opt our stories, uh, meaning, you know, the, the, greatest, the, the themes from our stories, mm-hmm. um, heroism, uh, sacrifice, um, you know, even to the point of death. That's how they get away with co-opting those and saying, yeah, yeah, those are our stories along with uh, diversity and inclusion, humana, humana, humana. That's how they get away with that is they mix the truth or they they mix uh, a truth or the truth with their lies. And we let them get away with that over and over and over again. And I think what we talked about on Friday during Feedback Friday is a perfect illustration. of That's that a distortion. very good point. I just, <clears throat> the did God really say thing. It, it's remarkable how uncomfortable Christians who go to church every Sunday can be made. By that turnaround, by leftists, uh, pagan leftists who are so obviously hostile to the faith they claim. Why, why would you take that from somebody if this is uh, uh, at least important to you that you carve out that time to keep the Sabbath holy? You're never, it's not like, a, you know, can I just spitball here? Can, it's uh, the hostility that comes at you these days from the kind of people, hey, we golfed. They instantly are trying to embarrass you. Why do you take that? Why do you consider them your friends? Why does this make sense to you? You in, you referenced the Israelites earlier. You know, they're standing there at the bank of the Red Sea. They can see or hear at the very least uh, Pharaoh's chariots yeah. coming over the ridge. I know where you're going. They had just witnessed the seven deadly plagues. Yeah. Um, including the one that uh, gave birth to the, the rite of Passover. 
Um, and despite witnessing, witnessing these things, you know, you hear people say, I'll believe in God if he shows me. Right. He visibly showed them his power. And, you know, there's a whole theology about those plagues. Maybe we'll do some time on Theology Thursday. They're all specific rebukes to um, the false, the main false religion in the world at the time, which was Egypt as the world superpower of the time. You know, these weren't just like randomly picked things. You know, they didn't like spin the wheel of destiny up in heaven and like mm-hmm. frogs came up on Tuesday. Roll it. Uh, roll scene. Wheel. Okay. Of legs. <laughs> yeah. They didn't do that. I mean, there, there's a, there's a, you know, God is a God of order. It says in the scriptures, there's a, there's a method to the madness here. And so these are all singular rebukes of the people and their false gods and their, their, their sorcery and, uh, you know, really their demonic influence of the culture. And so after the, after the Israelites witness this, they stand there at the bank of the Red Sea. Still go wobbly. And, yeah, and the knees, get, they get you know, weak in the knees. They, 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 they didn't take Margaret Thatcher's advice and decided this is the time to get wobbly, George. <laughs> all right? They, they, and, you know, to me, the most, one of the most tragic stories in all the Bible, I think it, the family name is the, is the Sons of Korah. And they do the same thing. Now, now they've now we're they've gone this is after now they've been delivered through the Red Sea. They've seen manna. You know, they've seen further miracles of God during their wandering in the wilderness. Pillars of cloud, pillars of yes. fire. Yeah. And and they and they and they and they confront Moses. They don't like the way he's running things, and only Moses is doing what God tells him to do. And God says, Hey, tomorrow morning, bring everybody out once and for all. We're gonna settle who's really in charge here and who have who have who have chosen to be my prophet. And so all the tribes of Israel assemble and the earth opens up and swallows, pardon me, I think I banged my mic there. Sorry about that for those of you listening in with the earbuds. Uh, all of the earth swallows this family that challenged Moses' authority because they really weren't challenging Moses' authority. They're really challenging God's. Because, you know, Moses is just a guy named Moses unless God calls him, right? And, and, and it's like, God's like, I'm trying to make a definitive statement here. Don't tug on Superman's cape anymore, okay? Just, you know, I've got this. The next verse says, the next morning, people went up to Moses and said, you were really unfair. You really didn't do right by that family. What happened to them wasn't right. And I, I, you know, you read that and you're just like, (laughs) but then you look at your own life. And you look at your own life and you want to go astray and you want to not do, despite all the evidence God has showed you, uh, uh, that he's worthy of being followed and obeyed and you want to go astray and we do and we all do, you know? And that's why um, accountability and those sorts of things, assembling together, that's why those things are important. You know, otherwise the senses go dull. And we only succumb to what spirit of the age progressivism is selling us because in our humanity, this side of Eden, it's what we really want. More in a moment. So the uh, real estate signs are starting to pop up in the neighborhood. It is prime home shopping and selling season. If you are in the real estate market this year, 
do it the right way. Check out our friends at Real Estate Agents I Trust. This is a company that uh, Glenn Beck and his associates started several years ago. Tired of real estate agents who talked a good game, but when they were needed the most, just didn't deliver the promised results. And so they wanted to start something new. You know, there's a lot of referral companies and organizations out there, but most of them operate under the premise of, hey, we're trying to find clients for agents. In the case of real estate agents I trust, they're trying to find an agent worthy of you, the client. It's about empowering you uh, to find an agent that understands the, the complicated process of navigating a real estate market and has a long track record uh, of success doing so, who understands who, hey, that data matters. I'm big into data. But, uh, you know, you got to look beyond the algorithm. Is there a reason, for example, that a home in your neighborhood sold for a lot less or more than you were getting ready to sell your home for? And should that automatically interfere? The algorithm says, well, here's that what that means your home's value is. Well, I don't know. Maybe they maybe they have a, a special accommodation that was built into the home that raised its value in particular, or maybe uh, there's a family situation come up, and so they're desperate to sell, and so they've lowered it. That shouldn't have an impact on you, and so you need an agent that understands that, and then you need an agent you just get along with because there's it's a stressful process, and it's just so much simpler to navigate when it's somebody that is there for you, courteous, uh, discreet respectful, et cetera. If this is the kind of agent you're looking for, then you are looking for real, real estate agents I trust. Check out their website. Realestateagentsitrust.com is how you can find them online. Realestateagentsitrust.com. All right, back to our book study here. Uh, truth bombs, confronting the lies, conservatives believed or our own demise. We're looking at lie 11, that the battle is between conservatives and liberals. And the truth bomb is, no, there really aren't that many liberals anymore. The battle is really leftists versus what's left of America. And we're, we're talking about, and the book lays out in more detail, something we have discussed on this show numerous times, that spirit of the age progressivism is a heresy. It's not a political ideology. The political ideology is the manifestation of what it really is. It's a competing religion. It is here to compete against the Judeo-Christian um, orthodoxy that has really undergirded, undergirded American exceptionalism from the very beginning. It's here to compete with that, it, with, with the goal of replacing it. So we've talked about a couple of the characteristics that all cults have, uh, and Spirit of the Age progressivism so far checks both boxes. It has its own creation story to replace the biblical account. It has tools of distortion. The next thing it'll do is promote moral insanity. All cults do this. All right, so cults will either ignore the restraints God puts on human behavior for our own good, or they'll demand some unattainable super morality of people beyond what God requires in order to impose compliance to the cult at all costs. That's the goal of altering the morality, okay? The goal of altering the morality is you either keep coming back to the cult because it feeds your sensuous desires— or you keep coming back to the cult because you greatly desire its approval by living up to its super moral standards that not even God uh, commands. That's the goal. Control. You know, we've often said that in the end, what progressivism is about more than anything is what? Control. In the case of spirit of the age progressivism, it's actually doing both. On one hand, in our day, it successfully removed most of the moral restraints previous generations acknowledged to their own benefit. 
And now we're actively aiding and abetting our own self-destruction. If you look at the fallout, we have a surge in fatherlessness, uh, STD strains that we didn't even know existed 30 years ago are prevalent now, so on and so forth. That's just from the sexual revolution as one example. At the same time, spirit of the age progressivism is demanding we find some way of communicating what we believe that never offends those who don't share our beliefs. That's simply not an attainable goal, guys, which is precisely its point. If you can't share what you believe when it's contrary to progressivism without offending a progressive, then you lose your right to espouse your beliefs at all. Your thoughts? Well, I, it's being refreshed on this. It's, and before you even read that part, it, the, the unique part of this, and that's how you kind of know the power of it, the, how you're really in trouble, and this isn't something that just uh, drifts away and takes care of itself, is because they're accomplishing both of those at the same time, licentiousness, hedonism is is being reframed as a call mm-hmm. to morality. Uh, and when you are there, then it requires a level of emotional insanity and, and, and marginalizing us, us, calling us names. It gives them a power to do so that people just they feel choked by most people aren't equipped on a daily basis to go to war that way and that's not even unique for this part i mean you you read about the founding fathers and they just kind of like man really i gotta go you know strap it on and get it done again you know i'd rather just go home or worry about my crops in virginia it, they, they have perfected this blitzkrieg art of just beating us down it's because of those two camps that they have simultaneously managed to meld together and it's a good reminder as well, a good opportunity to remind people, uh, remind ourselves as well, that um, when the same people who will tell you that all men are um, rapists waiting to happen and that uh, women just need to be freed of the patriarchy um, because they're all strong and independent, I'm not making a, a statement about that side of the sex in, in, ge- in general, but it's we hear this all the time. Um, get rid of the patriarchy. The patriarchy sucks. All y- yada, yada, yada. When those same people then go and cheer and clap for the um, dude who feels pretty, who is kicking your daughter's butts in uh, women's sports in high school and in college, that's the type of moral insanity that we're talking about. And it's all revolving. It's not because those people like trans, trans quote unquote, air quotes, uh, transgender rights, or that's not because people really do hate the patriarchy. It's because whatever and whenever is most advantageous to tearing down any standard of morality, yep. mm-hmm. that is what they cheer for that's at right. any given time. That's how they justify the insanity. That's how they ju- justify the nonsensical positions. And we've been coming to this, at least I have, maybe I'm late to the party, more and more often as we go down the ra- rabbit hole of progressivism and licentiousness. It's really at the at the heart. It's really nothing, um, nothing different than... Um, than the, the pagans um, surrounding the Israelites who would uh, preach uh, child sacrifice and uh, sexual licentiousness in the uh, in the temples as a part of their re- – it's really nothing different than that, the nope. heart of it, nope. um, at the end of the day. But as we get deeper and deeper down the rabbit hole, what we our, – our versions of it, our versions of it are becoming more and more stark and easier to identify as just being – 
as just being what they are, which is iconoclasm. Nothing new under the sun. I mean, it's it's why they'll cheer the year of the woman. Well, when their candidates are women, they get elected, by the way. They'll cheer the year of the woman, and then the very next tweet from the exact same source will point out to you that gender is fluid and just a social construct. Okay. Yeah. And if you want to acknowledge that, then you're a bigot. That's what, that's what a cult does. A cult tries to have both sides of the moral equation. It will promote super morality and or licentiousness at the exact same time. And you say it out loud, and it sounds like that's an insanity that's about to cave in on itself. Yep. But then, you, like you said, it's an observational science, conservatism. We have to take this cult seriously because it doesn't do that. It's running over our culture. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm just taking them at their word. Yeah. There are two more uh, characteristics of a cult that spirit of the age progressivism, I think, checks, that checks the box for. In a cult, individual worth is always replaced by groupthink every single time. Since a Judeo-Christian worldview begins with the premise that each of us is, is created individually in the image of God, it places a high emphasis on the rights and pursuits of happiness of the individual. However, cults always coerce individuals into giving up their individual identity in order to comply with the collective. This is known as groupthink, and it's the force that binds the progressive galaxy together. For once a person ceases to see themselves as part of a collective and as an actual person, they are much more likely to abandon the identity politics that is progressivism's intellectual compound, if you get the analogy here. All right. On the other hand, as long as a person is immersed in identity politics, they will conform to the groupthink even to their own detriment. For example, black unemployment in America hit a record low in May of 2018. But when hip-hop superstar Kanye West started challenging progressivism's cultish dogma right around that time, he was called, quote, a gift to racists, unquote, by a white progressive in the mainstream media. If you dare think for yourself, a cult will turn on you every time. The same thing happened to another black hip-hop artist, Genuine, when he refused to kiss a dude who pretends to be a chick on national television. Since Gen Gender dysphoria ranks higher on the intersectionality ranking of victim classes than simply being black. Black Entertainment Television said Genuine's refusal to violate his conscience put, quote, the internet at war, unquote. Genuine's cardinal sin was believing he could put his individual values ahead of the group thinks demands. Okay? This is, by the way, the cults, cults are always bastardizing the orthodoxy. This is a, this is the, this is vile, this is the bastardization of the idea of the bride of Christ or the universal body of Christ. Okay? The beauty of the the universal body of Christ, as much as you see in the Trinity, you have, you have diversity within unity. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. There's diversity within that unity and then unity within that diversity. You, you're, you're belonging to the body of Christ. Doesn't mean you give up your native tongue. Doesn't even mean you, doesn't get, you give up your, your customs, what foods you like. You don't give up your individual, the indiv, your individual aspects. Uh, you give up. You give up the, the, the hold and claim that sin has on you to serve the Lord that gives you victory over that sin, okay? But you don't, you don't have to, come. there's not a homogenous con, uh, confirmation process. Not everybody has to speak the same language, wear the same clothes, like the same music, things of that nature, okay? But in the identity politic, you must, all right? That is, that, and that is the spirit of the age progressivism's version of groupthink, gentlemen. Uh, well, they, they, they need a church and it's called the mob, uh, outside, uh, 
uh, Lot's house, uh, the crowd outside Lot's house. They, 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 there's no way uh, to get by ultimately without it. You know, we, you have uh, Americans and others fighting uh, for freedom, and although terrified uh, in uh, 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 World War II, you have them yeah, that putting up that last full measure of devotion. Uh, when it comes to uh, the Russians in Stalingrad, we have the stories of them shooting at their own fleeing. Uh, the term scorched earth yes. became a warfare term because of what they did the winter of 42 at Stalingrad. Right. Where they burned their own crops. They burned their own fields. They knew they were going to starve, but at least they'd right. wait out the Nazis who would starve too. Right. right because there's, there's without the mob, the thing to get you weak in the knees and to not be that individual sense. Hey, yeah, but no, there's no buts. No, there's, how about the, no, there's no other side. Ever. And so you will get a, trust me, they have their church. We've talked about it. It has its sacraments. And yes, they are full of blood. Yeah. You wander off the reservation uh, just a little bit. And and the moment they realize that you've wandered anywhere close to being off the reservation is um, is the moment they respond like the doctor in Idiocracy responds to the main character when he finds out that he doesn't have a tattoo with his barcode. Uh, why come you don't got a tattoo? You you, you are an unscannable. <laughs> I'm dead serious. I'm, you it's are, a great analogy. You are, you are an unscannable, and they will recoil at, uh, about as fast as you can say, uh, you know, get out. That uh, That's basically, that's Another basically good reference. what it is. That was good. That was that was some pop culture cash money there, homie. I yeah. liked it. All right, one more characteristic of a cult that we think Spirit of the Age progressivism checks the box for. Cults always produce suffering for those on the inside and persecution for those who challenge it from the outside. Except for its privileged leaders, everyone else in a cult suffers from belonging to it. Progressives have run Chicago for 87 years, Baltimore for 51 years, and Houston for 37 years. Listen to this now. Okay, those three cities by themselves combined for almost half of the nationwide rise in the murder rate between 2014 and 2016. Those three cities by themselves. In other words, decades of slavishly voting for progressivism has literally gotten people in those cities killed, literally gotten them killed. And that's not even counting all of the aborted babies. If you dare challenge the cult's stranglehold on its people from the outside, then you will face persecution. Whether you be a Christian baker or florist who refuses to serve a homosexual union contrary to your morality, whether you're a conservative or religious group on campus at a public university that advocates for any form of traditionalism, whether you're a minority who breaks the bondage of identity politics and is now branded a traitor for preferring to be acknowledged for your individual achievements instead. Oh, and neutrality is never an option for the cult you either affirm it you either affirm it or you are its enemy peaceful coexistence simply doesn't exist so you will join the cult or you will be made to care before uh, you decided that this is the way we were going to talk about this chapter, I, I was going to start talking about this because you've had a lot of su success as a political prognosticator in the past. Uh, and That's the key phrase, in the past. Well, yeah, but yes. currently in terms of sports, and you take in data, information, uh, in order to make an accurate uh, uh take your shot at what's going to happen and when we talk about cults read this chapter read that in particular that data generational data it's it's it we when we talk about a cults it's not because we're calling names or it's not a pejorative it's an observational science if you do not understand cultish behavior 
and you think you are somebody who is going to play an effective role in the political ring in this day and age, you should retire because that lays it out. The chains that it wraps you up in, people want to be in that cult despite their destitution. You have to understand that. It's the same conversation we just had with Bob Vanderplatz in hour one. Yep. I'm not going to risk that kind of exposure. I mean, if you want to get you want to get the Jehovah's Witness off your door on a Saturday afternoon, tell them I, I go to a Bible-believing church. I've watched it. They'll just turn right around and walk away. And they want to engage. They don't, be, they don't want to engage for fear of what that conversation will ultimately lead to. All right? And that's, that's, that's what this is. I don't want to risk an exchange that will blow up my groupthink because it's my religion. They're, the, they're really the fundamentalists here. Yeah. If you really want to boil it down, they're the ones. Now, here's something you can do about it because there's millions of kids right now attending their indoctrination centers. And we just got through describing to you they're not hiding it anymore what their goal is. But it's even gone even beyond the ideological indoctrination now. The real, see, they don't even want your kids to have real world skills now. That's why Aaron's generation is taking adulting classes. How do I balance a checkbook? You know, I, I mean, how do I, how do I pay my bills? What is a checkbook? Yeah, yes. Because anything, anything that gives you individual power over your own fate risks you not being in a spirit of total conformity to whatever they want to impose upon you. This is exactly why you have social justice, gender confusion, and test-driven instruction instead of reading, writing, arithmetic, etc. This is where Freedom Project Academy comes in. Uh, it was created... Uh, in order to serve this very purpose of giving you an option uh, instead of putting your kids in the government schools. It's an accredited classical online school built on Judeo-Christian values for students in kindergarten through high school. Freedom Project Academy has taken the interaction of the traditional classroom and created an online atmosphere where students across the country are instructed by live teachers in small classes who then teach the students how to think not what to think, as in critical thinking. If you want to learn more information about this, here's all you need to do, all right? Because I know a lot of people right now are getting ready to make decisions about where their kids going to get educated to come the fall. Go to freedomforschool.com right now if you want to learn more. Freedomforschool.com. Aaron, we got about a minute left. I'll give you the last word. Go ahead. Colts almost always end in... Um, they end badly. Let, let's put it that way. They end very badly. Unfortunately, and you know, this is a ubiquitous example. Uh, the people of Jonestown, or at least their leader, we just want to be left alone. Just want to be left alone. That's why we're going to South America. We just want to be left alone. We want to do our own thing. Um, we want to teach our own kids, yada, da, da, da. Eventually, they made people care, and they took a lot of pe- he took a lot of people with him on his way out. That is the danger of of cultish behavior, and there is no doubt in my mind, and there shouldn't be in yours after this hour, that that's what we're up against. Everybody have a great Monday. We are back at it again tomorrow right here on The Blaze. Until then, John 317. This is Steve Dace. On The Blaze Radio Network.